The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. For 15 years, Jim Fix, author of the 1978 bestseller, The Complete Book of Running, ran 130 kilometers a week. He appeared to be in tip-top shape. It didn't seem possible that a man his age could be in a better condition. Yet, at age 52, Fix died of a massive heart attack. That happened while he was running alone on a quiet, vermont road. His wife Alice later said she was certain that Fix had no idea he suffered from a heart problem. Why? Because he refused to get regular checkups. Now after Jim Fix's death, Doctors speculated that his heart was so strong he may not have had the telltale signs like chest pains or shortness of breath that usually signals arterial heart disease. Now I wonder how many Christians are like Jim. They are so certain of themselves, so convinced that their lifestyle, their active involvement in the church, their devotedness to Bible reading, and their regular prayers, their faithfulness in abstaining from worldly activities, their religious fitness, if you will. How many Christians think they are spiritually in tip-top shape? I wonder how many Christians are so self-deceived that they think because they are doing so well, because they appear to be so religiously fit, that they never really consider going for checkups. Well, today we will be doing one of these checkups. I'm sure you have all heard the following phrase. All roads lead to Rome. However, the same is not true for heaven. Although many people argue that there are multiple ways to gain access into heaven, the Bible clearly states that there is only one way. There's only one way to ensure that you are fit for heaven. So the question that we need to answer then is the very same question that Job asked his friends. In Job chapter 9, Job asked his friends, How can a man be in the right before God? This question is without a shadow of a doubt the most important question that anyone can ask. Because when you die, 
and you had no idea that you've been um, deceived, then you will be in big, big trouble. So I think, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, as this chapter will most certainly help us to answer this extremely important question. Philippians chapter 3 is where we will be spending most of our time today. There's a lot going on in, in chapter 3, but we're going to focus on the three most common ways or the most common roads people follow in their attempt to please God or to pursue um, being right before God. As we've already noted, there is only one way. So two of the three ways that we will be looking at are roads that may seem to lead to eternal life. But as a matter of fact, they are both roads leading to eternal destruction. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be reading the whole chapter. Please follow along as I read. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, 
I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us walk true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And may God help us to apply these words to our lives. Let us pray again before we continue. Our God and Father, please guide us by your word and your spirit. Open our minds that we may be led into your truth and taught your will. May your spirit help us to judge ourselves rightly that we might look to Christ and Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first road that we will be looking at, let's call that road Legalism Lane. There's an age-old and common misconception that to be right before God is by being preoccupied with obeying rules and regulations. These people, known as legalists, consider Christianity to be similar to all other religions in the sense that all other religions consist out of a series of do's and don'ts. In the time of Paul, many Jews believed that the only way to please God, to be right before God, to be deemed righteous, was to be born a Jew. And they also considered circumcision as one of the key necessities for being in a God-pleasing position, if you will. They believe that if you are not a Jew, not circumcised, and if you do not obey the law of Moses, then there is no way that you could ever be right before God. Here in verse 5 and 6, Paul lists his impressive credentials according to the Jews of that time. 
everything he held on to, believing that all these things, these external qualities, all these works of the flesh made him right before God. This was and still is a serious and sad to say a very misconception we still find today. The Word of God declares over and over again that no one is righteous. Romans 3 verse 10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. David rightly declares in Psalm 143, For in your sight no man living is righteous. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Back in Romans 3, this time verse 20, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, the law that the Jews held on to, the laws they so legalistically obeyed, were never given so that by keeping the law anyone would be justified or made righteous. The purpose of the law was so that mankind would see and realize that we all fall short of the glory of God. That we are all sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And unless God gives us grace, we will be destined for eternal death. The law was never given as a means to obtain a right standing before God. No one is able to keep God's law perfectly. And this is exactly why Christ was born. To come and live as a man, the only man born without sin, the only man who never sinned, the only man who was able to perfectly keep God's law and die completely guiltless. And with his perfect sinless life, paid the penalty for our sin so that we could be made right with God. But... Not only did Christ die on that cross to pay for our sin, the fact that he kept God's law perfectly made him the only righteous person in existence. And that is why he received the name above all names. And you know what? The righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account. And therefore we are not only guiltless, but because Christ paid for our sin, each and every one of them, but we are also righteous because Christ lived that total perfect, in total perfect obedience to God that we all fail to comply. So not only are our sins paid for and forgiven, but we also stand as a righteous people before God because of what Christ did for us through His life and death. 
You have all read the passage about the rich young ruler. He asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. This young ruler also told Jesus that he has kept all the commandments and thus he implied that he was a good person. In his opinion, he deserved eternal life. You see, he placed his trust in the works of the flesh. He also trusted in all that he owned, his riches. And that is why Jesus told him to give everything away, sell it, and give the profit to the poor. And Jesus also said to him that if he gives away his belongings, then he will have a treasure in heaven. Notice that Jesus did not say by doing these things, he will inherit eternal life. Jesus said that if the young ruler does these things, he will have a treasure in heaven. In order for this young ruler to inherit eternal life, he had to let go of everything he trusted in and follow Jesus. In other words, he had to count everything as loss, everything he trusted in for his internal inheritance and place his trust completely in Christ. But he did not place his trust in Christ. He went away thinking, I am not giving up my stuff. I want my stuff. I'll find another way to get into heaven. There must be another way, another road I can follow which will lead me to eternal life. The truth is, there's only one way. One gospel, one savior, Jesus Christ. We have to understand that keeping the law will not save us. Doing or keeping all kinds of traditional and ceremonial practices will not help anyone to inherit eternal life. Being religious about your prayer life, your Bible reading, church attendance and so forth will not make you a righteous person. By doing or even abstaining from certain things will not make you right before God. So many people believe that, let's say for example, wearing a pair of jeans to church on a Sunday is wrong. Or that one has to abstain from going to the mall on a Sunday. Well, you can dress up in a suit and keep as far away from the mall on a Sunday as possible. Doing these things will not save you. This reminds me of something I read earlier this week. The story was told some years ago of a pastor who found the roads blocked one Sunday morning and was forced to ice skate on the frozen river to get to church. Which he did. When he arrived, the elders of the church were horrified that their preacher had skated on the Lord's Day. After the service, they held an emergency meeting 
where the pastor explained that it was either skate to church or not go at all. Finally, one elder asked, did you enjoy it? And when the preacher answered, no, the elders decided it was all right. Now the Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul, and the other Pharisees paid attention to outward demonstrations of piety for appearance's sake, rather than giving attention to inward obedience. This can be well illustrated by two eggs. One egg is a normal raw egg that, when placed under the palm of the hand and pressed evenly, cannot be broken because of the structure of the egg itself. The second egg is exactly the same on the outside, but its insides have been removed. When it's placed under the same palm pressure, it breaks easily because it is eternal, internally weak. So too, one who gives himself to the sin of legalism is empty of substance and will eventually crack under pressure. So to come back to our extremely important question, how can a man be in the right before God? Well, we have seen that keeping the law, obeying rules, partaking in traditional ceremonies, being religious, none of these external legalistic practices will make anyone right before God. There's only one way, and that way is Christ Jesus himself. The only way to be right before God is through faith in Christ alone. Now I said earlier that there are two roads that seem like roads leading to eternal life, but instead they actually lead to eternal destruction. We just looked at the first one which we named Legalism Lane, now the second road, which also leads to eternal damnation, is a road that is completely opposite of what we just looked at. Let's call this second road Antinomianism Avenue, where the legalists believe that they have to work for their salvation. The antinomians believe that since Christ died for their sin, they can live life as they see fit. Antinomianism is a word made up of two Greek words, anti and nomos, meaning, literally meaning against law. Now these antinomians are usually the people who argue that God is love. Therefore God will not send people to hell for, let's say, being homosexual. They argue that the only thing necessary for a person to be right before God is that that person must only believe. Just believe. Antinomians take the phrase grace alone way too literal. When confronted, they usually quote Romans 6 verse 14, which reads as follows. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 
And that's also where they stop reading, close their Bibles and tell you, see, I told you. These people should actually just continue to read because in the very next verse, Paul writes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, we cannot argue that because Christ died for our sin, we can now live life as we see fit. We cannot passively sit back and argue, well, I am saved. I do not have to do anything. I do not have to change. I do not have to give up my sinful habits. The Word of God clearly states in various passages that we have to pursue holiness. It is usually these antinomian people who label true Christians who pursue a, a lifestyle of holiness as legalists. They do not understand that being a Christian, a true Christian, is much more than just a confession. Being a true Christian is all about counting everything as loss in order to follow Christ. Now these antinomians place their trust not in Christ, but their actual trust um, is placed in their confession. They place their trust in a prayer they once prayed, asking Jesus into their hearts. And based upon that prayer, they think they are now saved and that all they have to do from that moment on is only believe. Well, they're believing a lie. The sinner's prayer will not save anybody. We are saved by grace, through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Not by obeying laws and not by praying and trusting in the sinner's prayer. Now, the way to identify these antinomians is actually quite easy. Let me quote Jesus' own words. You will know them by their fruit. You see, apart from these people's confession, there is nothing else that distinguishes them from the unsaved. Their lives look exactly like the lives of the unsaved. Now these antinomians, they are many. They are also found amongst true Christians. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verses 17 and 18. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies the cross of Christ. In other words, the many 
Paul refers to here are amongst true believers. These antinomians walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And in the next verse, Paul explains where the road these enemies of the cross walk on leads to. Verse 19, their end is destruction. This antinomianism avenue leads to eternal destruction not eternal life. Why? Well, they are not truly saved. They are not really born again believers. Instead of living a life of obedience and holiness, they live to feed their fleshly desires. They are proud of that which they should actually repent and be ashamed of. They constantly set their minds on the things of this world. Listen to verse 19 again. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. You see... The only reason why these people prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus into their hearts is because they think that confessing Christ is like taking out a fire insurance. But they're wrong. Antinomianism only offers false assurance. A mere confession will not save anybody. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Not by works and not by praying the sinner's prayer. Now, so far we have looked at two roads. The first one we looked at we named Legalism Lane, which is a road followed by those who place their trust in the works of the flesh. People who think because they read their Bible, because they attend church, because they do not go to the mall on a Sunday, because they do not eat pork, because they do not steal from others, because they are not murderers, because they obey all kinds of rules and regulations, they are saved and on their way to glory. But as we have seen, this road, as known as legalism lane, leads to being eternally lost. The second road is the one we looked at just now. And that road we named Antinomianism Avenue. This road is used by those who believe because they have prayed a prayer asking Jesus into their hearts and because they really believe that they are saved, they then must be saved and they are destined for eternal life. But just like the other road, this one too leads to eternal destruction. So let's now look at the third road. What does the third road look like? Well, the Bible says it is narrow. It is a road that is not used by many. And the reason why this road is so unpopular 
is because it is not an easy road to travel on. This road requires that one count everything as loss. This road requires that those things that were gained to you now be, be counted as rubbish. Things like your own righteousness, the works of the flesh. This road requires its travelers to deny themselves and to follow Jesus. Let's call this road Sanctification Street. You see, this road, Sanctification Street, is very unpopular because on this road you'll find only those who are truly saved. Those who are in a, a process of sanctification. And sanctification, as we all know, is never easy. This road consists out of trials of various kinds, as James refers to them in James chapter 1. This road consists out of numerous tests, the kind that tests one's faith. Those tests that produces steadfastness, those tests that shapes the true Christian. On this road, you have to be willing to suffer loss of all things. On this road, you will have fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. You will have to lay down your life and be conformed to His death. You will have to lose your life in order to save it. Just listen to verses 7 through 11 again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, become like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Sanctification Street is a road where you do not sit back passively and merely believe that you are saved like the antinomians. And this is exactly where they have it all wrong. The life of the truly saved person has to be different from the lives of the unsaved. The fruit produced by those who are truly saved will not look like the fruit produced by those who are not saved. Sanctification will always form part of the saved sinner's life. Paul says, I press on. I forget what lies behind and reach forward. I press toward the goal. You see, the sanctification process is something wherein we actively take part. We have to pursue holiness. 
We have to be willing and deliberately stay on this difficult and narrow road. But let me just add this. We are not saved because we travel on this road. We travel on this road because we are saved. Sanctification is a very, very special process. It's a process reserved only for those who are truly saved. Thus, only those who have received the Holy Spirit can and will be sanctified. The purpose of sanctification is in fact to make those who have been redeemed more and more Christ-like. Therefore, those who are not truly saved will not be sanctified and hence the reason why you will not find the unsaved on sanctification street. Sanctification is a work performed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will only sanctify those in whom He dwells. And He only dwells in those who are truly saved. That is why Paul urges his readers in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine themselves, to go for those regular checkups. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Don't just assume that you're saved. Examine yourselves. Are you in the faith? Test yourselves. Who or what do you trust in for your salvation? In your own righteousness? Well, that's legalism, and that will not save you. Do you trust in that confession you made and the sinner's prayer you prayed way back then? Well, if your life hasn't changed much, if the fruit you bear looks and smells like the fruit produced by those who are unsaved, then I'm afraid you might be deceived. Because if you are not pursuing holiness, if you're not concerned about your sanctification, then there might be a very good chance that you are actually traveling on Antinomianism Avenue and not Sanctification Street. And as we have seen, Antinomianism Avenue is a dead end. It literally ends in destruction says Paul. So don't trust in works of the flesh for your salvation. But also don't think that because you have prayed the sinner's prayer, you can now sit back and relax. If you are truly saved and you are being sanctified, then the fruit of the Spirit will be visible in your life. What road are you currently on? Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you and pray that somehow 
you would seal the many things that we've said today to our hearts. Be gracious to us and refresh our hearts with the wonder of the cross. And let it transform the, the perspective by which we view everything else. Father, be gracious and give new life to those who are not in Christ. How much they need to come to Him, Father, and yet they can't do it on their own. They need the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would grant it to them abundantly, fully, graciously. We commit ourselves to this, Father, this biblical view of true Christianity. We ask you to cause that to prevail in the end over against all of the false imitations that are all around us, biting at our heels like dogs. Grant us discernment. Grant us perseverance. Grant the fulfillment of the wonder of the things that we have seen from your word here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.